Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hopefully, we are uh, not going to just have a month where we're talking about reaching the lost and seeking to, um, you know, reorder our lives around reaching the lost and then move on, right? Like we, this isn't just a series to get ourselves excited. We're, we're looking to bring lasting change, trans, transformation, uh, to begin to live our lives differently when it comes to how we relate to uh, lost people. So hopefully you've been going to a new level of intentionally engaging your friends who are far from God uh, in relationship and friendship. Uh, I've been thinking in my own life about my own limitations in this area and what does it look like for me to get better, to get more fruitful. And one of the things that I've been thinking through is that my greatest challenge isn't so much fear, it's probably more indifference. And as I've really been seeking to approach this, not from the standpoint of what is it that I say I believe, but how am I actually living my life? There's sometimes a difference between uh, what we say we believe and how we live, and particularly when it comes to evangelism. And I've been sensing hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me personally about some change that needs to come in my thinking, in my attitude, in my perspective around uh, lost people and around what God's call is upon my life. And so as I began to explore this, God actually spoke very clearly to me and showed me three lies that I have been believing. Now, if you ask me if I believe these lies, I would have said, no, of course I don't believe that. That's not true. But, but what I began to recognize is that I am actually not living in a way that aligns with me believing that this is true. All right, so it's one thing to say that I believe something is true, but the true test of whether or not I actually believe it is am I living it? Am I taking action on this truth? Am I practicing this? So I want to encourage us today to be brutally honest with ourselves, all right? Sometimes repentance requires some brutal honesty. And just to have an honest assessment of our lives and do I really believe this? And what can I point to in my life that is evidence that I believe this? Or am I just giving this truth lip service in my life? Because I was. And um, I think there's more of us probably who are as well. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture to launch from in the book of Acts We'll move pretty quickly. You can follow along on the screen if you want. I'm going to probably move quicker than you can turn in your Bible, although we are only in one book of the Bible. But uh, we'll put it up on the screen. First is uh, Acts chapter 2. What I want to do is begin to lift our expectation and our standard of what we should expect in terms of the growth of God's kingdom. This is right after, or this is the day of Pentecost. 3,000 had just been saved And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day 
those who were being saved. So people were being added day by day to the church, and then people weren't just being saved, coming to Christ in a weekly worship gathering. It wasn't just the professionals that were sharing the gospel. It was all of God's people, right, day by day. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This is a few years later after the day of Pentecost. The apostles had just set in uh, Stephen and, and Philip into these roles of surface, surface, surf this. <laughs> Something came on me from Sheree last week, I think. I don't know what's going on. Um, service. So like these deacon roles. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Their numbers multiplied greatly and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that phrase multiplied greatly suggests that it wasn't just the apostles, it wasn't just the ministry leaders that were making disciples, that were sharing their faith. All of God's people were multiplying. New believers who were coming to Christ were sharing their faith and their lost friends were coming to Christ. They were coming to know Jesus. So multiplication, it, it, it suggests that new birth is coming from recent new birth. There's multiplication that's happening. Let's go forward about seven or more, eight, seven to eight more years. This is Acts chapter 12. This is about 10 or 12 years after Pentecost. Herod Agrippa, who was the grandson of uh, Herod the Great, he martyred James' brother John. And he's, in this passage, we're going to see that he's about to reap what he's sown in terms of his persecution of the church. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. He gives this speech. So as Herod's speaking, says the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. All right, they're shouting this to Herod. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's not a great way to go. Can we all agree on that? But the word of God increased and multiplied. So amidst all the, the pride of the civil leaders, amidst all the opposition of the, towards the gospel, amidst all the persecution, what we see happening is that those who are opposing Christ are diminishing. Those who are serving Christ are increasing, getting stronger multiplying. doesn't matter what, the, what kind of persecution the enemy throws at the church, the church is growing, multiplying. Let's keep going. This is Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 16. Uh, this is about five years after Paul had planted some churches, and uh, he travels around to revisit them. Verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in, Ju in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. All right, this is many years after Pentecost. Can you, can you grasp here that this is the normal expectation in the kingdom of God? It's growth, it's increase, it's multiplication. If we're not increasing, if we're not multiplying, then something is wrong. Okay, can we just have a brutal, honest assessment? And 
there are seasons that we go through where there seems to be more increase or whatever. And obviously, all of it to, the, many of us could probably point to people we've led to Christ or some degree of increase. But can we just lift our standard that the expectation is that day by day, people are being added to the church. The church is not just not a few people added on the weekend, but we're multiplying, multiplying. Acts 19, Paul's third missionary journey. This is another three years later. He's revisiting Ephesus. And uh, it says that he entered the synagogue. And for three months, Paul speaks boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So there was, there was religious opposition from the Jewish people. And Paul's like, all right, cool, no worries. We don't have to meet in the synagogue. We're going to go to this other secular venue, this lecture hall, and I'm just going to set up shop there, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And he did this how often? Daily. Daily. This is Paul's strategy we're seeing. This continued for two years so that, listen to this, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Asia here refers to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. We're talking about a population like Western Australia. And because of Paul and the rest of the Christians there, every single person in Asia Minor hears the gospel. How's that for some success in spreading the gospel? One more verse. This is just a few verses later, and we can see the depth of revival that, we, that the Ephesus church experiences. Verse 18, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, so they were, they were practicing the occult, they brought their books, their occult books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. It's about $10 million in today's money worth of occult witchcraft books, and they're just burning them. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the standard expectation for us. This is what we need to begin to lift our expectation of experiencing in our own lives and in our own church and in our own city. I'll give you one more verse, Romans chapter 10, bringing it all together. Paul's talking about where faith comes from. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want to talk today about truths that grow God's kingdom. All right, we'll move pretty quickly through these, but truths that grow God's kingdom. Father, we thank you for the standard. When we as your people are fully submitted to you, when we are believing the truths of your word, when the Holy Spirit is free to move through us, we increase in number daily. We multiply. 
is something that causes us to be unable to be silent. Father, whatever it is that needs to shift and change in us as a people, Lord, we, this is not just, we're not going to file this away as another great message that we've heard. But Lord, we want to be changed today. We want you to reorder things. We, wherever we need to repent, show us. We'll do it. Lord, if there's any area where we're actually not living in line with what we say that we believe, convict our hearts deeply and help us, Father, to begin to live differently. Father, help us to live in line with your truth. Convict our hearts. Give us the grace and the power to obey you. Thank you that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to unbelief, to ungodliness, to religion. Father, help us to be authentic, true followers who are living what we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to kick off this message with a, a video from a well-known atheist. For the sake of time, I'll probably interrupt this a couple minutes into it. He's sharing a story of a man who uh, gives him a little pocket New Testament Bible. He's a uh, relatively famous comedian, illusionist, Penn Jillette, Penn Teller. They have this comedy act that they do. And uh, it's a very interesting perspective that I think can really help us. So let's uh, put that video on. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age, big guy, and. Um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. But he said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, 
It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. How's that for a testimony, hey? I love that perspective. The only rational way to live, if we really believe what Scripture tells us is true, is that we are going to urgently, actively, repeatedly, be willing to overcome whatever social awkwardness we might perceive in sharing the gospel, we're willing to push through all of that because we actually believe something that, that provokes us and motivates us. Perhaps you've had seasons of your life in the past when you were more urgently sharing Christ with others. Maybe you're urgently sharing Christ with others now. I know my experience is when I, you know, when I was, um, when I was a new Christian, I felt such this strong contrast between what God had done in my heart and the life that I was living before. And I was so still relationally close to my old lost friends that I found myself just so compelled to go and share Jesus with them, preaching one-on-one -on -one to my lost friends, bringing my lost friends to church and to meet my other Christian friends and just get all the help that I could to try to reach them if they were willing. I, I started a 
uh, a Bible study in my fraternity house. I was in a fraternity at, uh, in university, and these were kind of, I don't know, maybe you've seen them in the movies, these, like, these university social clubs in America, but started a Bible study. I was a brand new Christian, didn't have a clue really how to teach the Bible. I just showed up with Bible verses because I had this, there was something in me. I, I, I had come to understand and think about things in such a way that it wasn't an option to live any other way but to do this, that there was this, uh, how can I not be sharing Jesus with these people if I actually truly believe this. And so the big idea of all these passages that we looked at before is that the normal expectation for us as followers of Jesus is to expect that the church is growing and multiplying regularly. But the only possible way that the church can grow and multiply daily and regularly is if what? If God's people are regularly sharing Jesus with other people. People, this is what Paul says in Romans 10. People only come to Christ when other Christians are sharing their faith. That is it. You might have the occasional story you hear of the Muslim person that has a dream. Jesus comes and visits them in a dream. Maybe that's the one in, in a billion people or one in 500 million people that get saved. But the vast majority of people, okay, so let's look at it this way. If people are not coming to Christ daily, then we are not preaching the gospel to the degree that aligns with the truth of God's word. Okay, can we just have a moment of brutal honesty? And I'm preaching to myself, but we can't continue in the old ways that we live in. I'm talking about the church that's been extremely uninfluential in our nation and in the Western world. And we can't continue to live the same way and go through the same practices that we've gone through probably not very aligned with living in a way that that really aligns with what we truly believe. We can't keep doing that and expect we're going to get a different result, right? If if we're going to see a revival come, it's going to be on the other side of God's people being so awakened to the truth and the reality of God's word, and we're actually living this out at a much deeper level. If there's no preacher, there's no salvation. Nobody's witnessing, nobody's sharing their faith, nobody's coming to Christ. I may say that I want people to to get saved. I may say that I love lost people. But the true test, if I actually want people to come to Christ, if I actually love them, according to Penn Jillette, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that if someone dies, they're going to spend eternity with God from hell and not try to save them from that? So I've been ruthlessly evaluating my own life, trying to cover, uh, uncover what is it that, what am I believing? What, what, is, what are the lies that I'm believing? What doesn't align in the way that I'm living with God's truth? And so I've been experiencing a bit of a shift in my life. Like Will and I have been going out almost every week at Curtin University, just feeling compelled. I've got to get out there. And we're just scratching the surface, uh, I think, of what God wants to do. But going out in this week, we, we talked to several people. We talked to uh, this guy, Stephen, who he was born in Europe. His parents are from Nigeria, but he's an atheist, physics student. You started sharing our story with him, uh, asking him about what he believes, and an opportunity opened up for us to pray for him. He was willing to allow us to pray for him. We had some prophetic encouragement for him. 
turns out his parents are Christians. Or like, bro, generational blessing, have you heard of that? You can run, but you can't hide. It's only a matter of time. It was a great moment. And he didn't seem to be changed in his perspective or belief, but we sowed a seed. And then we talked to another guy. Uh, Mikel was his name, soccer player. Um, I think, Will, you were off talking to somebody else, but I was talking to Mikel. Um, he grew up in a, as a Christian, but it became obvious as we were talking, he considered him, he believed in God, but there was a whole lot of things in his life that didn't align with what he said that he believed. So we talked a bit about the lordship of Jesus and the call to be a follower of Christ and lay down your life fully for, for Jesus and for the gospel and what that looks like. And it was a great moment, lots of love, lots of encouragement for him, bit of a, bit of a challenging message of the lordship of Jesus, had an opportunity to pray for him, and uh, that was it. So did another seed. I gave them both my, well, I tried to, I, I asked uh, Stephen if I could give him my number, or if I could get his number, send him a text, but uh, he said no. But that's all right. I asked, right? I'm, if I really... If I really want to reach these people, I, I don't want to just sow a seed and be like, all right, so long, see you later. That's great. Happy for that. But if there's at any, in any way possible for there to be a lifeline for this person. So Mikael, he gave me his, his number, shot him a little text message with stuff. Never heard back from him. But who knows what the Holy Spirit might do there. Who knows? I might even follow him up myself. I've been sharing some stories with you guys of, uh, of Brandon. In, uh, in the sauna at my gym. The, the, the Brandon saga continues. So this is the guy that came, I, I came in and in the sauna, I, I bought a waterproof Bible so I can read it in the sauna and my sweat as it drips all over the, my Bible, it doesn't ruin the pages. And so I, uh, the first time Brandon came in, he was like, oh, what are you reading? I said, it's a Bible. He said, oh, well, anything inspiring you can share with me? I was like, absolutely. And so I started just talking to him about what I was reading in the Psalms. And uh, this last time I saw Brandon in the sauna. The sauna's great because nobody's going anywhere. It's 20 minutes. You're committed. Like, you know, and, and we're like measuring each other. Like, all right, like if you, if you go less than 20 minutes, I'm going to know if you go less than 20 minutes. You know, so, so everybody's got to stay in the sauna 20 minutes. So this time Brandon's in there, but his friend Andy is in there too. And so he introduces me. He's like, he says, Andy, this is Jason and his waterproof Bible. <laughs> and so we had this great opportunity. I, didn't, I mean, I kind of never, I didn't really know what to say. It was a little bit awkward. And then I just said, well, have you guys ever read the New Testament before? And so I started to share with them what I was reading about Jesus who was, had healed a paralyzed man. And he healed him to really give evidence of his authority to forgive sins. And I said, I said, you guys should really read this just to confirm whether or not you believe it's true. And then I said, actually, really what you got to work out is do you believe the resurrection of Jesus is true? Because if that's true, then you better, you've got to accept everything that Jesus says in the New Testament. And so then Andy, he says, so do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Come on, what a question. And so I said, absolutely I do. He changed my life, shared my testimony with him, 21 years old, came to Christ, beautiful moment. And then he says, well, where should I start reading in the Bible? 
And so I was like, well, I don't, you know, wherever you want to start. You know, you can start in John. That's a good place to start. And so he got up. He left, thanked me for, for the conversation, and I haven't seen Andy since. But who knows? Maybe I'll see him in there again. But see, something starts to change when you begin to shift your, you begin to meditate on truths and approach the truth of God's word in a way that's not, oh, I believe that. I say, yeah, 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 I believe that. But to what degree am I really living this? And so as I'm starting to uncover, God, why am I not just radically sharing my faith every day? Why am I complacent some days? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're believing some lies. There's some lies you're believing. So let me give you these three lies that I, that I was believing. And remember, we're not so, if I would have heard these lies, uh, if I would have heard, heard someone say these things, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. Of course, I don't believe that. But we're not measuring what we believe by what we say we believe, but how we live, right? All right. Line number one, the people that I could share Christ with, they'll never believe. They're too lost. What's the point of telling them? Of course, I would never admit that this is what I thought, but what the Holy Spirit began to show me is that I actually don't have a vision. I haven't had a vision, say it that way, for the people that I share Christ with to actually get saved. I mean, you think about any sports team. You know, you've got, I remember, um, uh, who was the, uh, my mind just went blank, the old school, the old school UFC guy. Uh, most of you aren't going to know this, but Jake, maybe help me out. Uh, the striker that, uh, anyway, he, he had this, now it was before Brock. Anyway, he, he went on this, he had this losing streak that he went on, and he was like, I've got to get myself fixed. There was something in his mindset that had to shift because, and, and so he started to go see this sports psychologist to work out how do I get out of this slump because every time he stepped into the cage, in his mind, he believed he was going to get knocked out. And if you step in any kind of moment like that expecting defeat, what are you going to get? You're going to get defeat. And so the same thing is true in our faith. We're, the only way that we're going to feel compelled to share Christ is if we actually believe that God's word is true, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict and work with those that we're preaching God's truth to. Why did this man share a Bible with Penn Jillette in this video we watched? Why did he put his name and his phone number inside? Because he wanted to create an opportunity. He actually believed he had a vision for the Holy Spirit coming back to him later and maybe provoking him to pick up the phone and call one of these five numbers. So here's the truth that I realized I wasn't believing. The gospel is powerful. If I will just be faithful to share it, the Holy Spirit will cause people to hear and believe. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Because it is the power of God for salvation, everyone who believes. Paul had a vision for lost people responding to the gospel, repenting and believing. And so if we're not preaching the gospel very frequently, let's just be honest. I actually don't believe that my friends are going to respond to the gospel and be saved. And so we need to deal with that. There needs to be some repentance and some rejection of a lie 
and begin to believe what is actually true, that the gospel is powerful, that just sowing the word in somebody's heart, just sharing our story, our testimony, one little nugget of truth is all they need. It's like the Romans 10 passage. How are they going to hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? There's another passage. I didn't put this one up, but 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how uh, neither he who plants nor he who waters is, is anything but only God who gives the growth. God is actively coming alongside us, sowing the seeds of God's word in people's hearts, and he's bringing growth. And so if we want to grow in evangelism, we have to increase our faith in the power of the gospel. It's powerful. Line number two, I was believing. If people reject me, then I will lose value as a person. Now, would I say I believe that? Of course not. I would never admit to that until the Holy Spirit starts probing my heart and convicting me of my fear of man and my insecurity and my over-concern for what other people think about me. And so if I'm hindered by the fear of what might be a socially awkward moment, then I am deriving my identity not from God and what he says about me, but by this person and how they might be, uh, they might perceive me. God hasn't called us to live that way. I love, Will has a saying, I think he got it from, uh, from Bethel. Embrace the awkward. Isn't that it, Will? Embrace the awkward. We're going out on Curtin University, just embrace the awkward. And Will takes it to another level, man. He just, he does, I love it. Embrace the awkward. But we can only embrace the, the, the potentially awkward moments when our identity is secure in knowing the God who loves us, the God who defines us, the God who is the source of our security, the one who is the source of our significance, the one who identifies us, the one from whom we get our identity. And so here's the truth we have to replace that lie with. Knowing that I'm already loved by God is the only validation that I need. It's all that I need. And so therefore... I'm willing to be rejected by people for the sake of the gospel. I'm willing. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus calls the crowds to follow him and actually become disciples. And he says, I want you to to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he finishes that segment saying that uh, if you are... How does he phrase it? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The call to follow Jesus is all given here. Jesus is giving it in the context of being rejected by people. God says, you got to choose. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to seek after the pleasure of other people? Are you going to seek to please people? Or are you going to seek to please me? You can't have both. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 1, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. There is no following Jesus apart from the rejection 
of the fear of man. In fact, when we begin to follow him, we die to that. There's another video I would show you if you have time, but it's from the, uh, the Band of Brothers series. Anybody ever seen Band of Brothers? Greatest, like, mini-series ever. So many leadership examples and, and, like, examples of overcoming fear. And there's this one guy, Lieutenant Spears, who is, like, fearless. He is just, he has no fear. Like, he, he just does crazy stuff. And somehow he keeps living. Like, he just runs across enemy lines, runs back, crazy stuff. And there's this one guy, Blythe, who he, he's kind of confessing to Spears his, his fear. Albert Blythe was, is his name. He's confessing to Spears. He's like, I, you know, when, when we, we parachuted in on, on D-Day, I, I just found myself in this ditch, and I just laid there. And I didn't get up. I didn't want to find my company. I didn't want to fight. Uh, I just laid there. And he was kind of confessing his, his fear. And, and Spears, at this beautiful moment in this scene, he says, says Blythe, do you, do you know why you hid in that ditch? And Blythe says, because I was scared, in his southern accent. I was scared. And, and, and Spears says, no, no, we're all scared. He said, you hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope that you're going to make it out of here alive. You have to settle the fact that you're already dead. And when you're already dead, you got no fear. What a beautiful picture of just, okay, I'm here. I'm in a battle. I'm already dead. I've already given my life. I'm going to live without fear. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is the life of discipleship. We're already dead. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. If there's any fear, then we've, we've allowed some part of the flesh of the old life to come back to life. There is no following Jesus apart from total death, death to trying to win the approval of people. Finally, last one, one more lie that uh, I think we're all prone to believe. And this was true in my life. I wouldn't have said I agree with this. I don't have the time to reach out to my lost friends. Really, whenever we say I don't have the time, what we're saying is, is it's really just not that important to me. There are other things that are more important to me. And so it really reveals maybe like what Pinjolette said, how much do you have to hate someone? Like, do we really believe? Like, if we actually really did believe that there are eternal consequences to people's decisions, to what degree would it cause us to realign and reprioritize our lives? I hope what you're catching here is this. This is not a message to just get you excited and stirred up and, and motivated for another week. We're talking about bringing lasting change to our souls. We're talking about deep repentance that needs to happen in aligning what we say that we believe with how we live. Or how about this? Let's just start to act like we believe it's true. Because we do. We're not going to say, all right, God, I don't believe this. So see you later. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. I don't want to follow you anymore, Jesus. Who of us are going to do that? He's, 
How could we leave him? He's changed our lives. We love him. We're, we've laid down our lives. And so the only direction we can move is, okay, I choose to obey your word. I choose to reprioritize my life, to realign my life in whatever I have to do, whatever I got to shift and change in my routine to actually live in a way that says that I believe this. I've been, my goal, I've set this as a goal, and I've been meditating on it. I'm not there yet, but I want to share the gospel with at least one new person every day. That's where I want to get to. One new, one new person every day. Because if people come to Christ day by day, it's only because God's people are sharing Jesus every day, right? Like, there's myriad of opportunities to share Christ. But what I find is that, like, I'm driving down the road the other day. I'm thinking, okay, how could I share Jesus with someone today? And I was like, I actually don't really want to. I can't be bothered. It's like, okay, what's, something's got to shift and change in my soul. How, what does it look like for me to start every day to stir up and recultivate this death to self, death to desires of people, and actually be intentional? This is, this is the whole context of Jesus telling the, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and uh, the lost son. This is what he's talking about. He says, I will leave the 99 to go after the one. Jesus is talking about priority. What is most important in his life. So all these other things that we fill in our lives, Jesus says, no, no, no. None of that is as important as this. And if we really could live every day in the light of eternity and the reality that we're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives someday, all that's going to matter on that day is what do I get to bring with me into eternity? That's all that's going to matter. And so what does it look like for us to today align our lives, not be at that point and think, oh, man, it would have been great if I could go back and align my life differently. What if we have an opportunity? What does it look like more deeply to value lost people? Not just in lip service, but in how we actually live. I think one of the things that I'm trying to come to terms with is that as a follower of Jesus, my comfort is actually irrelevant. It does, should not enter into the equation. In my choice to follow Jesus, I have given up my right to live a comfortable life. And so I've got to push through. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.